Hi and welcome once again to our daily devotions podcast. Yesterday I talked about the church's mistake in valuing conversion before transformation. That one of the church, not agape, but the church in general, one of the mistakes that we made was that we put all our resor- a lot of our resources in converting and we get excited over conversion. What happens then is that we spend less time, less planning, fewer resources on helping one who has been converted to live a different life, to be transformed in their lives. And this has resulted then in people who come joyfully into the kingdom and then there is nothing to fill them with the result that they become worse and worse in anxiety, in wickedness. And today's devotion, we learn in greater detail what that means. But what it highlights is that there is a great need for more people, laborers in the harvest field, not so much to convert, but to journey with those who have been converted, to help them to know God and to grow deep in their faith. And so if you are listening to this podcast, my appeal to you is this. Pray and ask God to give you the ability to journey with someone else, to help another person know God. Now some of you may feel that, hey, I'm not equipped for that. I really don't know how to do it. It's not my personality. What I'll say is this. If you're willing, if you feel something for those who come into the faith, who need to know God more. And even if you don't know how to do the follow-up, ask God to equip you and believe that God will do so. You know, in the first five years of my ministry as a pastor, I was such a horrific preacher. No one wanted to listen to me. My sermons were shallow. They didn't amount to anything. In fact, when people heard that I was preaching a certain place, they would leave that place and go somewhere else to listen to a better sermon. It came to a point when I was so desperate, I approached my senior pastor, Malcolm Tan, and asked him what to do. He simply said, well, you pray and ask God for the ability to preach. Then he prayed for me. After that, I told God how desperate I was that he couldn't have put me as a pastor and not be able to preach. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me that he would preach through me. That there was nothing that I had within me to preach, but the Holy Spirit would minister through me. That has been like this ever since. That each time I need to preach, I turn to God and it is the Holy Spirit who gives me insights. It is the Holy Spirit who guides me, empowers me. What I've learned then from that this whole life experience is that God to God nothing is impossible we only have to ask him and so if you feel a burden feel a wanting a desire to help someone else to grow in the faith there's so many you know even in Gape almost every week we have a visitor we have someone who comes wants to know more about the faith, or who has become a Christian but needs someone to journey with them. There's so many people who need to know 
God more, not just to be converted, but to be transformed in our lives. And if you feel that tug, then go to God and pray and ask that He will equip you and provide you with the means to journey with another person. Of course, when I know that there are some of you who want to, I will find a way to train you also to help you to know more about how to journey with that person. But do let me know or let some of our staff know and we will work with you on this. But let's now turn to today's passage. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 to 23. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. But thank you for your Holy Spirit who equips us, who then sends us into the harvest field, that many more will not just be converted, but that their lives will be transformed so that their lives will be cleaned out and your Spirit will come and live and journey with them. Help us, Lord, as we read your word and understand it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, to 23 That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Large, such large numbers gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when they, what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will ever be seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, Understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word 
worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I begin with two questions. The first question is, why did Jesus preach in parables? The second question, was Jesus simply telling them the things that just are, that some will fall, some seeds will fall on good ground, some will fall on hard ground, some will fall on rocky ground that will sprout for a short while and then quickly die, and others will fall on thorny ground where they will be choked by the worries of life. Was Jesus simply telling his disciples and telling his hearers, this is what it will be? So some will be saved and others will not be saved. And these are some of the reasons why they will not be saved. Was that Jesus' purpose? Or did Jesus have a further intention that those who heard these things and knew where the ground was would make a change? That the church, in effect, would understand that certain people would fall on different ground and they had to make, the church would then have to make provision to move these people into fertile ground. What was Jesus' purpose in telling this parable and then inter interpreting it? But first, a simpler question. Why did Jesus preach in parables? Jesus said in verse 11, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they will have, they have will be taken from them. Now that seems rather cruel and unfair. If you don't have it, if you have less, you have nothing. Whatever little you have will be taken. But if you have more, more will be given. Why then did Jesus bother even to preach in parables? I mean, what's the difference? Did he, if he had not said it, it would have been just as good. But one of the things that parables do is that they separate those who really want to know from those who don't want to know. Purpose of a parable is to separate those who really want to know from those who don't want to know. It is a very effective teaching tool, really, because when everything is spoon-fed, when the teacher spoon-feeds a student and gives him everything, every detail, whether it is a student who is interested or a student who is disinterested, it's all laid out to them. No effort is made by the student to learn. No effort is required by the student to learn. And learning then becomes slow. But when there are questions that are not answered, when there are mysteries and puzzles, then those who really want to know put their heart into knowing more. And so it is with the parable. Throughout the centuries, those who have searched for God have pondered over what the what truths of God really are about. And as they ponder it, they grow deeper in understanding. You see, it is not an unfair thing that those who have knowledge, especially knowledge of God, should be given even more. 
Let me give you an example from daily life. The daughter of a friend of mine who was studying in ACSI received the award as um, deans on the dean's list. And I was curious what the reward for being on the dean's list was. And so I asked this girl, so what does it mean? What gift do you get? Did you get a voucher, a few hundred dollars? Did you get remission in your school fees? What did you get? And the girl said, well, during the holidays, we will have the two-week holiday. We will go back to school every day. And there will be professors, specialists, the best in the field who teach us more about this subject. I just couldn't believe the excitement in her voice when she said, imagine every day for two weeks, we have the best professors teaching us on this subject. To me, it was like, what? Two weeks holiday and you go to school every day? What a, what a stupid thing. I mean, is that a reward? That's punishment. Why do they punish students for doing well? But to this girl, it was, what a wonderful treat it is that for two weeks while everyone else is doing nothing, I am in school learning from the very best. You see, those who are hungry for God, those who are hungry for the Word will want more and more. It is a great joy to them. To them, receiving more of the Word gives them greater joy. God wants to give these seekers, these whose hearts long for Him, even more of Himself. But for most of us, hearing that it's extra work, extra load. We feel like, don't overwhelm me, just, just feed me the basics. And God will. But God's hope then is that as we know a bit more and a bit more, that our interests will be piqued, that we will want to know more, and that our hunger will grow. And so Jesus taught in parables, not that he might confound everyone, but that those who long to know him, those who long to understand would search, and in their quest, find even more. It's true for us, too, that there are so many questions about God and who He is. The question is, how much do we want to know Him? Do we Are we happy just with a little bit of devotions every day? Or as more questions arise in our hearts, do we want to search more for Him? Let's look in at the second question. Did God tell this parable and this interpretation simply to say, to, to describe the state of things and maybe to, make, to explain why some will enter the kingdom and others will not and then say, well, that's, that's the situation, just too bad. I don't think that was what Jesus wanted to do. When we think about what he has done for us, how he pleads with sinners to come to him, how he says be reconciled, pleading with the world to be reconciled with God, how he offered his, whole life, his own life to die for the world, would Jesus simply be saying, well, this is a situation, if you are lucky and your hearts are open and fertile, then you will come to the kingdom. If the seed falls on hard ground and your heart is hard ground, then too bad. I don't think Jesus, that was Jesus' intention at all. Rather, I believe that when Jesus described the situation of our hearts, what he wanted was response from both sides. First, 
the people, the hearts that the seed fell on, that knowing the condition of their hearts, they would take effort, make changes in their life to allow the seed to germinate, to grow and to bear fruit. And the other party then would be the church, would be us who are believers, that we would also take note of the description that Jesus has made of the various hearts and then do something to make a difference in the condition of their hearts. So let's look now at the different conditions of the heart. The first, verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So this is about those who do not understand the word. What happens then when they hear the word of God that's preached or when they read the Bible and they do not understand? What can they do about it? There is something that you can do. If you are listening to this podcast and you have been reading the word of God and it doesn't make sense to you, or when you've been listening to the podcast and you have lots of questions and you don't understand what this means, I urge you, ask. Ask and speak to someone. I have made available my phone number, my email address on the website. Please write to me and ask questions. Ask another Christian come to church and ask us what Christianity means or what the teachings of Jesus are about. There was one thing that we taught our, my wife and I, Jeannie and I taught our daughter Kimberly when she was in primary school. We told her it is alright to not know. It is not alright to not ask. It is alright to not know. It is not alright to not ask. And this rule we taught her from very young, that if in class she didn't understand anything, there was no shame in not understanding something. Even if the whole class, everyone else in class understood what the teacher was saying, if she did not, that was not a reflection of how dumb she was or how smart she was. But there was one thing that we required of her, that she asked what she could not understand. Either in class, even if she looked stupid and everyone seemed to understand, that was alright to tell the teacher she did not understand. And if she couldn't, still couldn't get the answer, then when class was over, she must go to the teacher and ask the teacher to explain the work. We told her that at the end of every day, she needed to understand her lessons. And that was the most important thing in education. It was not about how much you knew, it was about how much you got the answers for things you did not know. And that habit has gone or carried on to this day. And I thank God so much for teachers who are patient, for the teachers who did not humiliate her when she expressed her ignorance. I thank God for the teachers who took time to explain. And this is my appeal to you who do not know and do not understand. At various points, there will be lots of things we do not understand. <clears throat> do not just let that pass. But ask, seek understanding. Talk to those who understand, read books, search for answers. And to us as a church, I mentioned yesterday and on Sunday what, how important conversations are. Avail yourselves to answer questions. You know, I've often had parents come to me and ask me how to 
answer some of the children's most profound questions. It's always with great joy when I engage, talk to parents about this. It's also a great challenge for parents as they as you answer questions for your to your children. <clears throat> it deepens your own understanding. But my hope for this church then it will be a church that seeks understanding. Seeks understanding from God, seeks understanding from each other. Because the danger of the consequence, the penalty for not understanding is that whatever little we have will be taken away. The evil one comes and plucks off everything. That will be so tragic. But it doesn't have to be that way. The second seed, the second group of the ground, the seed, verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is a question of not having root. And this is where we need the most Christians to help in, that we journey with each other. Superficiality is a big problem in Christianity. One of the things that struck me very hard as a pastor over these almost 30 years was how superficial our knowledge and our faith in God was. That we call ourselves Christians but we barely know what, who Christ is. We barely know what Christ has taught. It is indeed a very tragic thing. Because if our knowledge of Christ isn't even enough to help us through each day, if it doesn't allow us to face our problems, our daily problems, much less the catastrophes that do happen, but just daily problems, then how impoverished we are. You don't have to go very far to just get an idea of how little Christians know our God. Just look at the news during the, the riots in Washington, D.C., when people ra rushed to attack the senators and the politicians. Many were carrying banners that said, I believe in Jesus, believe in Trump, believe in the Second Amendment. Believe in Jesus, yes. Believe in Trump, who, who lies throughout believe in the Second Amendment, which is guns. What he's saying is this, I believe in the truth, which is Jesus. I believe in lies, which is Trump. I believe in guns, which is killing. Do we really understand what Jesus really is and what he really teaches? But so we come closer to home and we look at how little we understand what Jesus taught, how Jesus lived, how Jesus address the people what Jesus' heart really is. We know so little of who Jesus is and who our God is. And that was one of the purposes of why I wanted daily devotions. It didn't start with my wanting daily devotions. That was too daunting for me. But I wanted us to study a gospel, to know Jesus. And I thought to myself, well, if we, if I really wanted to 
just preach Jesus every week, it would either take me several years to finish one gospel, or I would have to pick excerpts. We've always been picking excerpts. Just pull out one story and then preach one Sunday and another story and preach another Sunday. And we miss the six days, the seven days in a week, but six days of uh, maybe of work. That means that for every week, we only learn one-sixth of what it is to know Jesus. How impoverishing would that be? And so that pushed me to a corner and I thought if I really wanted to us to read and to reflect on every story in the gospel, then perhaps we just had to do it every day. But we need to know Jesus more deeply, not one-sixth of Jesus or or a fraction of what Jesus is. Even doing this daily isn't enough because there's so much to understand and know of Jesus our Lord. But superficiality is a problem in our generation. We claim to be Christians, but that's only a claim. We claim to love Jesus, but that's only a name. Do we really know who He is? Because the consequence of superficiality is that we will be choked by our daily problems. It says here, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Every day we will be challenged. We'll be challenged by different people, by circumstances, to live, to conform to the world. And unless we know the love of God, unless we know the heart of Jesus deeply, we will fall away. The third group, verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This one has great potential. It's a seed that started to grow almost good soil. There was so much hope in it and then it started getting choked by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I've learned that wealth is really very deceitful. You know, when I was earning much less and I already had a family, we we found it not difficult at all to give and to worry very little about money. But as I grew richer and earned more, it seemed as though I always felt like I had much less. There was there were far more worries. One of the ironies was I mean it wasn't irony really, it was quite a serious problem was that when I was working in Agape and serving in prison where everyone was poor, I never felt poor at all. I was generous, I never worried about money. And then I went to a very rich church and suddenly I started worrying about my finances. And I looked at my friends who were in poor churches and they seemed to have very little money and didn't bother them at all. And I asked them, how, how are you going to survive your, your retirement? And they looked at me like, what's, what's to survive? I have enough money, I have enough to enjoy myself and they eat well, they, they're generous and they're happy. I realized then how deceitful wealth really is. That it seems like the more you have, the more you worry about how little you have. 
we talked about this about Jesus saying do not worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. And once again, the deceit of the world tells us that if you dress, if you want to be attractive, you dress well, you dress attractively. And yet, think about it, what really attracts you to a person? What attracts me to a person? Are these, that the person is interested in me? That that person is concerned, that the person is considerate, the person is gentle and kind? That person takes real interest in my needs. These are the things that attract me, draw me to that person. Isn't that true for many of you too? When you sit at table, what does attract you? Some, someone who's very well dressed? Or someone who asks you questions about yourself, who wants to know your story, who wants to know you? and shows great kindness and consideration for you, someone who respects you, maybe even admires you, aren't these the things that attract that person to you? And yet all the while we thought that the more money we spend on what we wear, the more attractive we are. We're simply being deceived. Or what about enjoyment? These days we may worry less about our money. Of course we do. We worry about jobs. And we need to learn to rest in God. But some of the bigger worries are how do we go for holidays? Um, how do we enjoy ourselves? And the truth about enjoyment is not in how exotic the countries we go to or how big and expensive the meals are. We often say that it is the company that really matters. And that's true all the time. Whether it is the most lavish, exotic, extravagant meal, or it is a simple meal in a home or a hawker centre, what's important really is the friendship that is forged, the love that is shared, the commune and community that we have. Wealth is deceitful. But the problem with that is that stops us from being truly fruitful. There is so much potential. We have already survived the rocky ground. We have grown deep in our faith. And we know God. But the one thing that stops us from truly bearing fruit and following Jesus and being set free to love God is the deceitfulness of wealth and the anxieties that hang on to us. But Jesus calls us to cast our burdens on Him, to let Him have these anxieties. And we can do that every day. We can tell Him, please lift my anxieties. And then we can ask Him to show us the truth about enjoyment, about attractiveness, the deceitfulness of wealth. And then, of course, the last group falls, the seed that falls on fertile ground. My prayer then is that as a church, we may nurture each believer from a place of simply allowing God to cleanse their hearts to a place where the Spirit fills each heart and, bears, and the heart bears fruit. We need each of us to know the conditions of our own hearts, 
and to deal with that condition. That if it is that you do not understand the word, seek to know the word. If it is that your understanding of God is shallow, seek to deepen that understanding. If it is that you are stuck constantly by the deceitfulness of wealth and by, and by the anxieties of your life, hand your anxieties to God and know the truth of what life really, abundant life really is. But this is also a message to us collectively as a church. Can we address different conditions of the heart? We cannot leave each other just to flounder on their own. We need to help each other. For one, it is journeying. For one, it is growing deep in the faith. For another, it is understanding the word. And yet for another is building a community of such deep love that we see great pleasure in fellowship. Let us then allow God to use each of us to build one another up. So once again, my appeal, we need many, many laborers. It doesn't matter that you feel inadequate, that you feel that you're still shallow in your faith. We help each other. But you may feel relatively shallow to someone else, but your faith may be deep enough to journey with yet someone else. Ask God for the ability to follow another person and to build that person up in the faith because it is in building that person that your own faith is built up. This is... I appeal to you, help another person to deepen his or her faith in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, indeed, the harvest is plentiful. Many people need your love, need to come into your kingdom. Many people are coming into your kingdom. But Father, we need laborers, we need believers who will journey with another, who will build the faith in another, who will help that person open his heart, her heart, for your spirit to fill and to grow. Father, we ask then, raise laborers from within our congregation. We pray for each of us too that we may seek to know you more. We pray that we may allow our faith to deepen and we may no longer want to be shallow in our knowing of you, but we may yearn to know who you are more and more. And then God, we ask, protect us from our anxieties and from the deception of wealth. And so now let's do this exercise once again. Let's pause now. Many of us have many anxieties. We worry about our bills. We worry about our jobs, our savings, our income. We worry about the future of our children, their education, how they will cope. These are big problems, but Jesus takes them big and small. Let's place these 
problems before Jesus. He stands before you now. Take the problem of the worry about your job. Hand it to him and say, God, please provide. Give me today my daily bread. Feed me because physically I am poor. I am in need of help. Provide for my family. Lift that burden to Jesus. You're worried about your child's exams, your child's results, your child's future. Bring that to Jesus too. Don't hold it, don't rationalize, don't try, don't blame yourself for your anxieties. Just bring it to Jesus. He wants to lift your burdens. Take the whole burden and place it on Jesus. And let him assure you that your child is cared for, that his future is written for him and it's planned for him. Let God tell you that. Don't let me tell you that. If your anxiety is over an illness, illness of a loved one, your own little illness, bring that to Jesus too. When Jesus was on earth, lots and lots of sick people brought their illness to Jesus. And Jesus healed them all. Bring your sickness to Jesus now. And just rest in Him. Allow Him to heal you. Oh Lord Jesus, come, be real to us, be powerful among us as you were when you were on earth. And you said to your disciples, greater things will you do now when you believe in me because I go to back to my Father. And Lord Jesus, we bring ourselves, we bring our loved ones, we bring our brothers and sisters who are ill and we bring them before you. We know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is powerful and he works mightily to heal and to deliver. We pray now, Lord, that you will do such a powerful healing and ministry to those who turn to you, that we may experience the power of your presence, that your kingdom indeed has come upon us. Come, Lord, come Holy Spirit, and minister to each of your children as we bring our anxieties to you. May God, we may be set free to really follow you, set free to enjoy the life that you promise us, the life of the light burdens and easy yoke, the life of compassion for others. Set us free, Lord, to live that way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's a rather long, long devotion. I hope you're having a holiday. <laughs> but anyway, do have a blessed day. And see you again, hear from with you tomorrow. Let's meet again tomorrow. Goodbye.